Joni Ernst takes a dive. Mark Zuckerberg thinks he's MLK. A record-setting debate. And the White House admitted to everything. So can this please just be over now? What a week. I'm Matt Sinovic, the executive director of Progress Iowa. And I'm Lauren McElmeal, the digital director for Progress Iowa. Welcome to this week's What a Week, where we break down the week's top stories. Let's jump right into Joni Ernst's polling nosedive. Um, Lauren, this week we saw that Joni Ernst in the morning consult uh, quarterly rating of every single U.S. senator across the country. She dove by more than any, she dropped by more than any senator, all, uh, all 100 senators uh, in all 50 states. She dropped by nine percentage points um, uh, uh, in total. And, and so her approval rating um, as of this week, or as of the most recent polling, was 39% with 43% disapproving. Um, why? I mean, we, we've, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but what do you think is most likely the reason for this drop? I mean, I don't recall the parameters of like the date parameters of this uh, morning consult poll, but I would imagine it's, it's fairly, pretty recent. Pretty recent. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm wondering if this is in the immediate aftermath of her comments about how she did vote to repeal the ACA and how that kind of went viral across the state as like this this woman basically voted to ensure that you that we didn't have the protections of the Affordable Care Act. And not only did she vote to repeal it, she voted to repeal it several times and basically just continues to toe the party line whenever, uh, basically doing whatever Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell tell her to do. And President Trump. And President Trump. Um, and also, I don't know if this is necessarily something that everybody knows, but she is the vice chair of the Senate Republican Conference. Yeah, she's in so, leadership. So she's she has in a lot leadership of responsibility and, for what's going on there. And has a lot of power mm -hmm. that she is not using for the good of Iowans who are faced with rising drug costs, rising health care costs, and are concerned about how they're going to have health care with all of the, the stuff that's happening with the ACA lawsuit and also just the junk plans that have gone through. And I think Iowans are tired of it and they're tired of not having someone who is going to fight for them. Her whole thing was that she was going to go to Washington and make them squeal. And she's just turned into this party hack that will vote however her caucus says to. Yeah, and I don't think I think it's it's and with the polling if you dig in a tiny bit further like what it shows is that people aren't are fed up with it. I think you're right about the the healthcare piece. She's had some really bad town halls this summer. So, like in this is a quarterly, you know, poll that comes out. And so all the August recess uh, when the Senate's on recess, she had town halls where she was getting pushback on gun safety, teachers standing up and and talking about how they shouldn't have to do active shooter drills, people talking about their health care stories like you've talked about, which prompted what uh, uh, what she said about the Affordable Care Act and voting against it. Um, and then and then all this uh, all this uh, back and forth on on trade, too, I think we should make sure and mention because because the president has like just just pulled just continued to, to lie about this or to, to hoodwink our, our Republican leadership in this state, uh, Ernst Grassley and Reynolds have all just kind of 
sat down and taken it from President Trump. And and it's 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 become it's it's the point where it's become ridiculous. But so I think that that's I think all of that combined probably is she's seen her why she's seen her approval drop. It was 13 points among Republicans and then nine points among Democrats and seven points among independents. So this is across the board. It's not just like Democrats are now figuring out that she's not voting the right way. Um, but it's, what? it's right. It's, uh, it's across the board. So I wonder, I mean, what, like, do you think it's trade? Do you think it's just the general lack of standing up for Iowa versus like you called it, uh, uh called it, which I agree a party hack. Like what, what do you think the reason is for the drop among Republicans? Cause I that mean, one was the biggest. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that Iowa has had a lot to deal with, especially just in this past year with all of our flooding and the general, like our farmers are suffering so much and they are losing out on trade deals. They're concerned about how they're going to recoup the losses that they had during the floods during the summer. And I mean, even recently, there's just grain bins that are just destroyed and these farmers don't know where they're going to get their next their next meal, their next trade deal, things like that. And I think that reflects poorly on Jody Ernst because she keeps going along with all of these destructive things that Trump is doing. And also, I mean, I don't know how much climate change is a factor in like what farmers and Republicans and rural Iowans think about this. But I mean, this one, the, these like once in a lifetime floods are starting to become like once Very a month regular. floods yeah. and do you think cl clearly she's not doing anything or saying that climate change is something that needs to be fixed and i think maybe i mean i'm i'm not going to speak for like how people think about right. these things but i think that for for me i would be really concerned if like these once in a lifetime floods keep happening and i have to keep like going back into my house and like taking more stuff out and looking at relocating or giving up my livelihood yeah, I wonder if they, even if they're not thinking of it as climate change is a problem, yeah. they're just, people are just knowing that this is hurt, like, this is all, all these things that are happening are hurting our communities, our, our, what we're doing every, you know, year to year. And so, maybe and there's no help coming. Maybe it's, it's more about you know what like I mean? the, like, the flood walls keep breaking yeah. and, and there's not been much funding to go toward rebuilding these flood walls right. and making sure that this doesn't happen again. And I think maybe people are just losing their trust in her because it seems like she's kind of sold out, yeah. like to stay in power. Yeah. And I think that's going to come back to bite her because if she, w if she really wanted to go make Washington squeal, she would be doing a lot more than just putting out something about how, this department uses extra stamps and we can cut that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I think people are figuring that out as the kind of charade that it, that it is, um, the, the squeal awards and things like that. Um, uh, so I, I, we, I do want to point out that, that Senator Grassley is also among the 10 most, so Ernst is now among the 10 most unpopular senators in the country. And so is Senator Grassley. So, so I, we are, uh, you know, fortunate, I guess, that we have the, that we we're understanding what, what the record of our senators really is. And no, I mean, 
I, we know them best here in, in the state and we people don't like them. So, I mean, I don't think Grassley's too worried about his reelection campaign. <laughs> no, but I think it's telling. I think it's no, telling still, yeah. that like that he because he and Ernst are in lockstep on a yes. lot of things, um, even in the minimal ways. And we've talked about this in which they have sort of tried to distance themselves from the president, which is a stretch and being very generous. But like when they've said that the whistleblower yeah. should have be able to have, be protected, they both have said that publicly. What, what a controversial uh, and brief right. No, take. I know. But but any little any little you know departure from from uh, the Trump uh, from the Trump White House should be noted um, because it's it's rare. Um, <laughs> I'm not giving him a cookie uh, for it. I, that's fine. I, I'm not either. But uh, but even with that kind of thing. People are still realizing how what how bad their record is. So this Tuesday was the October debates for the Democratic Party. I think this is the fourth one mm-hmm. now. The first one was in June, and then June. I can't count. Um, but so it was apparently a record-setting debate. There have never been twelve candidates on stage together in a primary debate before. Uh, Matt, do you prefer the one night structure where everyone's on the stage or or the two night structure that we've had previously? You know, I don't know if this is a popular opinion or not, but but I prefer two. I would have much rather had two discussions, maybe even of two hours each with six people. And the reason I say that is because there's I think the core audience would have stuck around for most of both of those. It only would have been one more hour of of debate. But with six people in each two-hour block, you could have gotten a lot more back and forth and interaction. And, I mean, you had the first question out of the shoot uh, the other night was Anderson Cooper asking about impeachment, which, you know, it's they hadn't had a debate since the impeachment inquiry started, so it's understandable, I guess. But... By the end of that round, they wanted to get everyone in. He wasn't even asking questions anymore. It was like, candidate so-and-so, what's your response? And it was like, to what? Nothing. It was just, it, they were just checking the box to make sure that everyone got in for their few seconds. And I think having a smaller group with a more meaningful discussion is I personally I would prefer to see that even though it takes up two nights and I know there's a big debate about you know and, and then how do you split it up but but at this point they're all anyway so I, I'd prefer two nights it makes me kind of miss the undercard debates that they had in 2015 2016 for the GOP but I don't yeah, know. I, that I, I don't know that's that's trickier but that I'm well undercard is it yeah but I think I definitely think that if you have 12 if you have 12 people trying to have a discussion about anything it's not going to yield any actual solutions and a lot of these a lot of what these debates are about is getting people uh, getting to see people how, and how they react to being challenged to having to think on their feet and with 12 candidates you're not getting what you what you should be getting to see how this person is going to go up against Trump or if Bill Weld somehow pulls a rabbit out of a hat and becomes <laughs> the GOP nominee. Right. Um, I think that 
one thing that that we know for sure is there were a lot of candidates on stage, but not a lot or not every issue that uh, um, that we thought should be covered. And some of this is the fact that there are 12 candidates and only three hours. And I know three hours is a long time, but you could still say only three hours because it's so many candidates. Um, but just to rattle them off really quickly, there were paid leave, strengthening unions, racial justice, K through 12 education, which I don't know if K-12 has been talked about in, in really any of the debates, but um, but in this debate, it certainly wasn't. Climate change, immigration, sexual harassment, LGBTQ rights, campaign finance, disability rights, voting rights, and criminal justice reform. I'm sure there were others, but these were ones that we've seen um, uh, talked about online and that we've noticed as well. I mean, that's a long list of topics that were just not discussed. That's actually 12 topics. I just counted them. Oh, that well, they go. could have given one to every given one to every single one of them. And I also think that with the sexual harassment thing, it's been I think 2 years since that the, since the Me, Me too, too kind of really took off and that would have been a really good a really easy question to ask about mm-hmm. What can we do to make sure that we have better mechanisms in place for reporting, making sure that there's non that the NDAs that people have to sign are I mean, I think I think NDAs are stupid, but uh, an NDA means non-disclosure <laughs> agreement. Sorry, I forget that not everyone knows that acronym, but and then like arbitration and a lot of things that I think affect people in their daily lives if they're trying to report someone for this kind of behavior. And I, I think they really missed an opportunity there to have people talk about that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there, and there's so many things that were just left off the table. Um, I, we did finally, um, and way, way, way too late, get a question about abortion. It was at the end of the debate or toward the end of the debate, but, uh, Kamala Harris mentioned, actually mentioned it earlier in the debate that, it hadn't come up in any of the previous debates. Um, so very glad that that finally made it in at least a tiny, tiny bit. Um, My thing with that is that we've spent, we've spent basically the past, all of the debates talking about and rehashing the, the finer minutia of Medicare for all mm-hmm. and, or a public option. And that and, has been the same discussion. And it's been the same discussion debate. every time, but there also needs to be a discussion about the Hyde Amendment. And if we're going to have a discussion about health care and if we want to move to a public option, to a Medicare for all system, to any other of the other plans that people have have put forward, we need to ensure that either abortion is covered or is I mean, I would prefer that it's just flat out covered because that's how it should be. But talking about how we get around the Hyde Amendment, why the Hyde Amendment is discriminatory and bad for people who are low income and people of color and generally people who are rich and white will always have access to reproductive health care. And it's really just kind of another barrier that these poor people have to get through because we really don't like poor people or letting them have things in this country. It's totally true. And it's another I mean, that's I think that's the case on every aspect of health care in, in this country. If you have money, you're going to be generally you're going to figure out a way to be OK. Um, but it's it's just it's 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 it, it, and it should be discussed as, as part of the health care discussion. Um, 
there has there was a lot of pre- public pressure, I think, to talk about abortion in some of these debates, and that has been mounting, and that I think is at least in part why we find, even though it was way too late, why we got a question mm-hmm. about it in the debate. Uh, what do you what of these like forgotten topics? Which one do you think is most likely to get asked about at the at the next one? I mean, I would hope K through twelve education because that is sort of the backbone of a lot of our communities and especially with like rural school consolidation and uh things and the the inequities between some some schools because of how we fund we fund our schools by property taxes and how that system creates a lot of inequities and what could be done to fix that? Why do some of these schools have like state of the art computer labs, but this one is using 40 year old textbooks that are falling apart and really interrogating what we're going to do about that. And also, I mean, Betsy DeVos is the current secretary (laughs) of education and nobody likes her. And so that'd be a real nice way to kind of like be great, get people on an education. No one wants to not have kids educated. Like we all want our kids to go to school and to learn things and do better than we did. And I, th- I think the, the, the fact that it, it has not been a focus yet is kind of like how everyone is a little bit like, we don't know how to talk about this or, or they could even just talk about like teachers are the most severely, one of the most severely underpaid professions for how much work that they do. And what are we going to do to, you know, treat our teachers better, make sure that they have the support and the professional development that they need to be successful. And also the Chicago Teachers Union just voted to strike a couple days ago and they're on strike right now. And so it'd be that, timely. That, yeah. that would have been a timely mm-hmm. question. Like these people are making these demands. What would you say to negotiate with them? Or Yeah, it would tie in well with workers' rights yeah. and, and union rights too. Oh, that, yeah. that has really been undercovered. Apparently the CNN this. commentary should have just like, I don't know, cracked a newspaper or something this week. <laughs> <laughs> would be helpful, right? Would be helpful. Well, we hope that all of these topics get the get more attention um, in in coming debates, and 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 in the meantime, um, we'll do our part to to make sure that they get talked about. Well, it was another terrible week for President Trump. It was a week that felt like a month's worth of news, and most of that came out in within the span of a day or two. Um, I'll just run through the list really quickly. Um, Trump's acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, confessed to everything, basically, in the press room. On TV. On TV. Um, He confessed that there was a quid pro quo in the um, in the in in President Trump's phone call with with Ukraine. And that they do it all the time. Right. So who knows how often that means? Um, Maybe every day, I guess, if it's all the time. Um, There was the the Trump administration giving the G7 meeting next year to one of Trump's hotels, which even uh, the the uh, suspect legal analysts at Fox News have said is a vo- is a violation of the emoluments clause. Oh, man, when you um, cross Fox News, yep, I mean, it's trouble. <laughs> um, President Trump sent a bizarre letter to president to President Erdogan of Turkey. We'll read we can read some highlights there in, in a minute. Um and uh, and it that, sounds like it should be written in crayon. It, it, yes, it actually does. Um, but 
And then finally, Trump had a meltdown in the White House in front of uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, where he called her either a third rate politician or a third grade politician, depending on if you believe Senator Schumer's interpretation of the of the president or Speaker Pelosi's. So that was the President Trump's week just this week. Um, so, Lauren, what, what, what do you think is the worst of all of that? I'm just thinking about how if he called her a third rate politician, that puts her in a company with us because Bobby Kaufman called us third rate comedians once. And we are clearly second rate comedians. <laughs> at least. At l- not even at least. We are <laughs> firmly second rate comedians. But I think that I, I mean, I think what bodes the worst is that he's lost kind of his his niche at Fox News, even if like they're they're their weirdo analyst is suddenly like, yeah, I mean, this is not, this is not good, fellas. Well, it's this, pretty clear. Yeah, it's pretty. Well, I, A lot of things have been clear and they have Yeah, everything's, yeah. but also just Mulvaney going on TV and basically just saying, yeah, we did the crimes. We do, we do crimes all the time. And everyone was just kind of like, yeah, that's, that, that tracks. And then nothing happened, but there's, it's just... Everything keeps coming out. So you're saying there is no, no worse. There is no bottom. Every, it's a I've it's said a black this before, hole and I of, think it's a quote from Mindy Kaling or something. But every time that we think we've hit rock bottom, there is a new sub basement. Yeah. And there is apparently a whole subterranean Atlantis that we're living in <laughs> that is just full of terrible things. I will say I don't think we talked about this in the, when we were talking about Joni Ernst polling, but. She did also recently get questioned about President Trump's asking of a foreign government to to investigate one of his political opponents. And she just wouldn't say if that was OK. That was only last week. Yeah. Jeez. So so um, so I think something like that in the mix of all this, like really does matter. And and I mean, it's pretty clear what he did, but um but uh, so that's worth that's just worth mentioning as a reason for her poll numbers dropping too. Um, but I, but I think all of this kind of these multiple con- th- th- this confession from Mulvaney, this strange letter, the paying off of or the the you know shifting taxpayer dollars to Trump's hotels, which is all this is. I mean that's all that is. He's just enriching himself. Um, it, 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 the more they, the more he does that, and the more that Senator Ernst or Senator Grassley just refuses to do anything about it, the worse off they're going to be politically, and that's not and failing to do their job. Um, so let me ask this a different way: In twenty years, in thirty years, what do you think from just this week, what we just rattled off? What do you think history will remember most? The history of the textbooks are going to be so long for this part. <laughs> Some AP U.S. history kid is going to have to lug some 60-pound book around with them. I mean, I think the, the, the biggest, most obvious corruption thing is the foreign money go at Trump's hotel, like taking the G7 to a Trump property and, use, and getting all that money to enrich himself. And it's just, it's like cartoon villain behavior. Yeah, and it's that, never happened before, really. No. Or, if, you know, and if it has, and I'm sorry that we missed it, we all weren't paying attention. Well, it's like they investigated 
uh, Jimmy Carter's peanut farm that he had to sell oh, when man. he was president. I miss you know, Jimmy Carter. But like, but I mean, like that's the kind of stuff that used to get checked out. Yeah, you know, but he had, just, he had to get rid of his peanut farm. Right. I mean, and here we have you know heads of state spending God knows how much money at. Trump's hotels. There was also, I feel like, an Air Force military kind of thing about the they were staying at Trump hotels for a long time, and I can't even remember they, when they this stopped, was. <laughs> they stopped somewhere overseas. Yeah, yeah we'll, something yeah. like that. And it, I mean, that was probably more. That was more than two days ago, so it's like lost to the ether now. <laughs> so, right. but I, these are just kind of like the most obvious cartoon villain things that I mean. If we're seeing this right now as like, this is really bad. And I feel like in 20 years when some kid in AP Gov is learning about the emoluments clause and they're like, former President Trump used his position to enrich himself. This is in, in violation of the emoluments clause. And that's like the easiest example that they can give. Like, I remember learning about, like, the Teapot Dome scandal, and that wasn't this bad. Right. So Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> said some stuff this week. His name provoked a reaction for me. Uh, so he gave a speech defending Facebook's, let's not sugarcoat it, dangerous and controversial ad practices by basically allowing false ads to run on Facebook, which is what they changed their ad policies in the aftermath of the 2016 election to quote unquote fix. And that's why we all had to, ch they shifted all of the stuff that they did. They changed their policies, they changed their approval rates, and yet they're still letting false ads run from politicians who are basically allowed to kind of run whatever they want. And I can't, I think it's Elizabeth Warren tried to, um, tried to do uh, an experiment to see if Mark Zuckerberg would take something down. And I don't recall where that panned out, but Greg is it's looking at me like he knows what it is. It stayed up. It stayed up? Yeah. Okay. But so, and it was in response to, I think, a Trump ad that had also had super misleading, incorrect information. And we've all kind of been down this road before and we know how it ends. And... Mark Zuckerberg. He's facing a lot of criticism. He's facing a lot of criticism and thinks that he is the victim in this and compared what they're doing to Martin Luther King Jr. and Frederick Douglass. Seriously. That's, <laughs> and then he went on to talk about the importance of Facebook to the Black Lives Matter and Me Too movements, although I'd like to point out that Me Too was really a Twitter thing. And also Black Lives Matter was also a Twitter thing. Like, I don't recall seeing Facebook ads for Black Lives Matter right. or Me Too. Like, these are kind of organic social things that well, I don't were, like Twitter. Those started as hashtags. Yeah, they all I mean, started I mean, as hashtags. I mean, the mo there was a much broader yeah. movement yes. around them, but, like, you, we recognize them as their yes. hashtag, which is on Twitter. Yes. Twitter has its own problems. Like, there's no social media platform that is that is without its problems. But I don't think Zuckerberg gets to take credit for the importance uh, for Facebook's role in Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement, because it also he just he does he doesn't. So we're gonna read some of the reactions. But is there anyone less appropriate to compare yourself to than MLK, especially if you are a 
white man of significant privilege and also someone who literally started Facebook as a way to rate his Harvard class, his female Harvard classmates. And we're all concerned now that like this, this is not a good idea. Like he's shown, like, I think it's the Maya Angelou quote that like when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And Mark Zuckerberg has shown over and over that like, he's not, he's not great at this. Yeah. So if the question is, is there anyone less appropriate to compare yourself to than MLK? The answer is no. That's the tweet. And also when Bernice King gets in on this, like, you know, you did something wrong. Bernice King is the last surviving child of Martin Luther King Jr. And her response was, quote, I heard Mark Zuckerberg's free expression speech in which he referenced my father. I'd like to help Facebook better understand the challenges MLK faced from disinformation campaigns launched by politicians. These campaigns created an atmosphere for his assassination. And then from an NBC article, it talks about including that this included false claims that that Martin Luther King Jr. was a communist interested in government overthrow, violence and anarchy who cloaked himself in a veneer of Christianity and passive non-resistance. King's assassin, who was white, said he killed the civil rights leader because King and his movement represented a threat to white Americans and the stability of the country. Now, with all that, that's the end of the quote from the NBC article Now, with all of the racial just hatred spewing from this president and the adoption of that language and mentality from shooters or some shooters in the country um some of the mass shootings we've had and some of the just rise of of hate crimes and violence i mean there's a direct line between what the right wing is doing and is being allowed to do on facebook and what happened in in this case. And I think we should be terrified about what Zuckerberg. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. His comparison, but especially when it's basically the reverse is is true. One of the kind of upsetting things about this is that his quote is has become the story, which I understand right. because it's it's a quote and he, what he said was wrong. But it also kind of overshadows the fact that, like, Facebook is pretty shady about their practices. And, I mean, it's no secret that, like, these these policies and approvals are, are kind of, like, oh, I keep using, I've used the word shady already. But I think that, like, it's all just a, a bit shady and concerning. And, I, I mean, I think that should be a, that's not necessarily as, as sexy of a story as someone saying like, oh, I'm being, I'm being persecuted like MLK was, mm -hmm. but I think it's also, it's still an important story to tell. And I hope it does bring, shed a little bit more light to what they're doing because it's, it's unfortunate, but I think it is the reality that, yeah, it's easier to, to it's an easier headline for people to grasp and understand that. Mark Zuckerberg um, is, is comparing himself to Martin Luther King Jr. Um, so hopefully that's the hook that drags people into this and 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 helps them learn more about what's happening. Yeah. And going back to the, the Black Lives Matter thing that he said he was so influential in uh, Alicia Garza, who is one of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, tweeted, uh, 
if black lives matter to Mark Zuckerberg, then he should ensure that black users are not targeted with misinformation, harassment, and censorship on his platform and stop cozying up to anti-black forces. Until then, his company will be remembered as an enabler of white supremacy. Woof. And then she, she did a second tweet. It really lacks integrity for Mark Zuckerberg to even invoke Black Lives Matter in this kind of insidious way. Not interested in being your mule. You're being deceptive and it needs to stop. Yeah, I have to believe that they just didn't like, I mean, they don't not that Mark Zuckerberg or the Facebook leadership team maybe cares about this kind of reaction. Maybe they don't, but they clearly didn't like go through any process when or any meaningful process when deciding how to react or how to put this speech together too. Yeah. like that's pretty evident because um, this is that's about as bad as you can. Maybe that's about as bad maybe a their comms department was out sick that day. Yeah, it could be could be. Um, Sherilyn Eiffel, the president of the NAA, NAACP Legal Defense Fund, also took a, uh, went after Zuckerberg in a column with the Washington Post. There were other reactions as well. We'll share some of those links um, on the uh, online uh, when we share this uh, this episode too. But bottom line is, don't compare yourself to MLK. I would say just generally avoid comparing yourself to any historical figure that. Because it almost, it sounds like you're, True. you sound like those people that are like, I was Cleopatra in, in, in another life. <laughs> we also have to mention that the country lost a giant this week in the civil rights movement and, um, and, in, and just a public servant. Uh, Congressman Elijah Cummings from Maryland uh, passed away. Um, and, and he is, has just been um, an example of what it means to, to be an advocate for, for so many uh, great causes and issues and has had and was a, a wonderful member of Congress. Um, so we are going to play you out of this week's episode with the very first um, the very first floor speech he gave um, in the House of Representatives and um, and let you listen to that and, and hope you take some great inspiration from that as we do. It's a very simple poem, but it's one that I live by. It says, I only have a minute. 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, I did not choose it, but I know that I must use it, give account if I abuse it, suffer if I lose it. Only a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. And so I join you as we move forward to uplift not only the nation, but the world. May God bless you all. And may God bless America. What a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Potluck Media Network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. For more information, visit potluck.fm or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. See you next week on What a Week. What a Week.